Southern, welcome to a brand new show. <laughs> We're 10 years old as Marnie's friends, but today we launch our brand new Perspective Transformation Radio with our first guest, Cecil Murphy. Uh, Cecil's been with us several times over the years, and he agreed to come back and help us launch our new radio platform today, so we're going to welcome him in just a moment. Before we begin, I'm going to spend a few moments, a few minutes at the beginning of each program just introducing you to God's call on my life, because God has a call on your life. It is very specific to you. There's nobody else that could be you. You're it. You know, if you look down at your thumb right now, what you're going to see is little ridges on there, and it is so unique to you that that thumbprint can be used in a court of law to convict you of a crime, if that were the case. God has made you completely unique. You are special to him. And when he strung together your three billion base pair of DNA, he did it in a particular way so that you could accomplish for him the work that he created you to do. So my job, my role in life is to mentor women. So my gift and opportunity and joy and privilege and honor and responsibility is to mentor millions of women around the world. One of the ways I do this is through this radio show. And you can help me. Help me by sharing it. Help me. Help me by sending people over to Marnie.com. Help me by inviting me to come to share with your groups. I'm, I'm a mission-minded uh, guest when I come and speak, and we like to talk about things that God's doing around the world as well as how he can use us in our lives. Welcome, welcome to Perspective Transformation. So happy to have you with us today. And we are excited to welcome our first guest, Cecil Murphy. Cecil has been an author who has written or co-written more than 135 books, including the New York Times bestseller, 90 Minutes in Heaven with Don Piper, and Gifted Hands, the Ben Carson story with Dr. Ben Carson. Cecil's books have sold in the millions and have brought hope and encouragement to countless people around the world. He stays busy as a professional writer and travels extensively to speak on topics such as writing, spiritual growth, caregiving, significant leaving, sexual abuse, and recovery. Prior to launching his career as a full-time writer and speaker, she served as a pastor in Metro Atlanta as a volunteer hospital chaplain for 10 years and was a missionary in Kenya for six. Welcome to you, Cease Murphy. I'm so excited to have you back with us today. Thank you. I'm just delighted to be with you. <laughs> well, I always love to have you. I love to talk to you and to hear your perspective, and your your website is Cecil Murphy, spelled um, C-E-C-I-L-M-U-R-P-H-E-Y.com. You guys got to check it out. So many great books over there. But Cecil, one of the things that I love about you is just your genuine passion for life. Um, do you mind telling us how old you are? Oh, no. Um, on January 28th, I will be 86. 86. I love it. Okay. And so you are still, you are still going strong, man. Last time I talked to you, I know you're trying to slow down a little bit. How's that been going for you? Oh, uh, I'm about 98% retired now. I'm cutting off one thing at a time. I, I have one more book that's coming out next month, uh, next, um, sorry, coming out in March. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, congratulations and a well-deserved, a well-deserved rest coming here for you maybe in the, in the near future. So that's awesome. Uh, today we get to share 10 of your favorite 
life-transforming perspectives. And the purpose of this show is to help change the world one perspective at a time. And see, I know that you can say from experience that as you've worked with people penning their stories, writing their books, that you've come across hundreds of these over the years as you've just heard a thought and gone, oh, my goodness, wow, that's so true. That changes how I think about something. So before we begin with the first one, maybe do you want to give us a little backstory? Uh, I call these aphorisms or maxims, and uh, they all come out of my life situations. I'm I'm not a philosopher where I sit and try to think of clever things. These are all things that come out as I struggle with the various issues. And what I do, Marnie, when I'm struggling with something, I try to keep refining it until I can say it in one or two sentences, and then when the answer mm-hmm. comes, I can repeat that in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And that's exactly what we're going to do today is go through these um, kind of finely honed, well-tuned uh, quotes uh, that can go along with us. We're going to start with the first one. Okay, ready? Today, today I have time to do everything I need to do today. You know, this one reminds me a lot of one of my favorite quotes, which is there's, there's time to do everything God wants me to do. And this is a really pivotal concept. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a high energy person. And you know, I used to think I could do everything. <laughs> and uh, I've got to a place where I was just frustrated because I would have 10 things to do and I could only do uh, nine or eight of them, being very, very frustrated. And finally, as I struggled with it and prayed for it, it just came to me like this. I have time today to do everything I need to do today. It's the Mm -hmm. today I start in there. There's no way you're going to do everything you want to do, but you you can do everything you need to do and it also speaks about our priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good friend who, who makes his, he's gone to all these time uh, management classes. He makes a long list of everything he's going to do. I have never yet seen him when he's done everything they planned on that day. And he gets so frustrated. Mm-hmm. I keep saying to him, <laughs> Jerry, you can do everything you need to do today. Or as you said, everything God wants you to do Uh and, and be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself if you don't make it. And that's the other thing I would, I, it's not on here, but it's like I've learned to say, cease, I forgive you, and it's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, to forgive ourselves, right? God's already forgiven us, but sometimes that comes a little yeah, more I know difficult. God's, <laughs> this, this guy who's living in this body who has the problem. Yeah, right, right. In fact, I remember when I came up with mine, which is there's time to do everything God wants me to do. Um, it was after hearing a story about uh, Mother Teresa, and she had received uh-huh. a check for $50,000 to uh, build a hospital um, in India. And she sent the money back. And she said to the donor, she said, I'm sorry, you misunderstand my mission. I am not here to help people regain their health. I'm here people to help the people who are dying die with dignity. And she was so clear about what she was supposed uh, to do. Oh, is that amazing? Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 it, I so I go okay. So mine are there, there's there's time to do everything God wants me to do. There's not time to do everything. There's not time to do everything good. There's not time to do everything everybody else wants me to do. There's not even time to do everything I want to do. But because God is God, there's time to do everything God wants me to do. And there is so much comfort in that. Isn't there? Yes. And yeah, I know you're you are really doing God's will. Right. Oh, and it's it's wonderful to know that if I mean because he's God, he's the perfect time manager. So therefore, we have to have time to do everything that he wants us to do. So that's so cool. The greatest privilege I have in this life is to be exactly who I am. Yeah, you know, uh, Marty. Particularly when I was a, a young author, and I was young once, believe it or not. Uh, and I talked to I talked to all these successful writers. And I was thinking, well, they've been a New York Times bestseller twenty times. Why can't I? And I was constantly comparing myself and trying to be like them. And one day, I was at, at one week. I was at a conference, um, and I, I saw this man. That I, I had really re, a writers conference. I really admired this man, and and uh, you know. God, if I could be somebody else, that's who I'd want to be. <laughs> and then I saw him mistreat a couple of people. He was just absolutely oh. rude and unkind. And it hit me, mm. you know, I don't want to be him. I want to be me. Mm. And, and as I prayed and agonized over this, that's when I came up with this. The greatest privilege I have in this life is to be exactly who I am. Mm. I'm not trying to judge the other man. Please don't misunderstand. And, no, and, no. You know, he may be bad day maybe life was crashing and i'm but my point is my my role is to be me and that's the greatest job in the world is just to be me i love i love that story because it's so true that what we actually want when we want that is we want to be the parts of them that we find attractive but we don't really want to be all of them <laughs> the other person uh, yes <laughs> and i think we Sometimes get our eyes on these people, and and they are role models, or at least most of them are. You know, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, seeing them as mentors, uh, informal or formal mentors. But, you know, ultimately, I'm responsible to God for me Mm -hmm. and not for him or her. And I find so much comfort in the fact that he did string together our three billion base pair DNA in a particular way that he really intended it to be like this, like, this is who he meant for me to be. He didn't really, yeah. I can't, I can't really do a good job being somebody else. I can only ever do a good job being me. I, I like to use the analogy of, you know, if a car tries to be a boat, it's just not going to work because that's not what it was created to do. Yeah. And you know, every once in a while somebody was saying, when I grew up, I want to be Cease Murphy. And I say, I'm sorry, that position's taken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I said, I'll help you become the best you. Uh, and yeah. I know they're joking and so on, but, you know, it, it's as if they mm-hmm. they think they can be like me or be me. And they can't, and, nor can I be anybody else. Um, you know, I, I think it's wonderful to admire people, to appreciate those who are really kind of farther along in their career or in their spiritual growth than I am. And, you know, it can cause us to emulate them and try to follow their example, but we've got to be ourselves if we're going to please God. And when we keep trying to be something we 
uh, somebody else, it doesn't work. It really doesn't. And, and it works so well when we uh, finally come to the point where we accept who we are, that God made us this way and that this is the way we are supposed to be because that's the way he created us to be. The messes in life are my best teachers. I don't like them, but I need them. Oh, Cecil, I don't like this one, but I know it's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it, it, you know, at times, I don't care how spiritual we are, we all mess up. And Paul says in the 7th chapter of Romans, I know, in essence, he says, I know the right thing to do, but sometimes I don't do it. Um, not because he wanted to, just that there's, there's sin in him or, and wrong motivation, whatever. And one particular time, um, uh, I just made a terrible mess. I misunderstood something someone said to me. I uh, just kind of, uh, uh, well, I told a couple other people what, what it said. And, and it got back to the original person who came and said, see, that's not what I meant. And what a mess I had made. And then, you know, oh, I was feeling so awful. And I've had other messes too, but this is one time it just really got to me. And I realized, you know, I needed that. I needed to call on the grace of God. And, you know, it's just it's those little things in our lives that... Uh, uh, make that difference, you know. In, in uh, uh, the Old Testament, talks about the little foxes that spoil the vines, the little things that take us away from God. And sometimes, uh, sometimes we we really mess up, but we need to see our imperfections because then we understand what grace is. And that's, that's what happened to me. I just I, I got a real grasp of grace. You know, God. I don't really want to be a bad example, but sometimes I really mess up. Now, what this is going to do is teach me how to be mm-hmm. a little more careful, how to shut my mouth instead of you know, reacting and storming around. And, you know, um, those messes are my best teachers. I, I don't learn much from success. Mm-hmm. Think about that. I love that. You know, success- I yeah, I love that. Um, I love that uh, God uses everything, and that uh-huh. what we consider to be, you know, just a terrible, irreconcilable problem. God is like, oh no, this is this is here to help you grow, like you say, to help you experience grace. Uh, several years ago, I had made some blunders. I was trying to do the right thing, but I was just not following Jesus. I was just going out on my own and doing it even good things, and they were all <laughs> flying back in my face as problems. Oh, I understand. And I, I, I came to the point where I wouldn't get up in the morning that year. I wouldn't get up in the morning until I had prayed this prayer. God, the only reason I'm going to get out of bed today is because you're going to take my missteps, my mistakes, and my misspoken words, and you're going to turn them into beautiful flower gardens. And I recognize that the best I can do without him is just manure. That's really the best I can do. But even that, if I bring that to the table, he can turn it into something good, something beautiful. And there's so much comfort. Like you said, there's so much grace in it. And then we have grace to extend to others. But see, God had to show you in some way to make you a sense that on some level, you had to really 
feel convicted and realize that you'd fail. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it took that, you know, I always say God uses what he's got. You know, I mean, he just has, he has our lives. He has circumstances. He has people. And um, whether we're the one doing the messing up or he is, um, he wants to draw us closer to him through those things. I just love that quote, and, and I love the heart of grace behind it. No one else can define my success. I get to choose my own definition. See, so by uh, everybody's just, definition, you're a success. <laughs> well, you know, again, this is my, you know, I've had a long career, uh, Marty. I was a full-time writer for more than 34 years. Uh, I wrote maybe 10 years before I uh, went full-time. So that's a long career, and I'm grateful for God. But especially in those old early days, comparing myself with others. um, um, And, uh, you know, I remember I was this one time I was um, going to a conference at Mount Hermon. There were like eight or nine people in the the bus uh, that picked us up, the band that picked us up. And they were all talk. Somehow they all started talking about their achievements. And well, I've written five books. I've written three books. I've written two. You know, they go on and on and on and on. And you know, and and the moment for a moment I thought, well, I've I've written all those books, but I don't feel successful like they seem to. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, I don't I don't have to feel like they do. I have to decide my success. I finally decided that I'm the one who decides my success. And success for me doesn't mean how many books I've written. It doesn't mean how many times I've been on the New York Times bestseller. My success means I know that my life pleases God. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that every day, but I'm working. I'm getting better and better. And I'm the one who gets to decide that. You can't decide that for me. Mm. And that really helped me in in dealing with other people, particularly writers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and all of us, whatever industry we're in, there's going to be a benchmark like that uh, within, you know, whatever, how much millions you, your business sells or whatever. Uh, There's just all these benchmarks around. And I teach the um, Success Principles Intensive Coach Certification Program, and we start with the word success because I think this is so confusing for people. Um, even, you know, uh, my friend who's a gold medal Olympian, she, um, she worked very, very hard to become a success and stand on that podium. And then she got to stand there. And then when she gets off the podium, now she has to start defending that success. So it's real important that we understand that success from God's perspective is just well done, my good and faithful servant. And I just think we can practice that every day. When I lay down in bed at night, please, I'm like, okay, God, how was it with us today? And he's either, well done, my good and faithful servant, or there's a few things we need to talk about before you go to sleep. Um, you know, so, I mean, we have this beautiful opportunity with Christ to be a success in the day. We don't have to wait till heaven to figure out if we're going to get the gold medal. Oh, and let me tell you another little story. Um, I have a full-time assistant. Her name is Twyla Belk. And she's so talented. And one time she said something to me about um, well, you know, I can't write as fast as you do. I can't put out what you put out and so on. And that shocked me. And <laughs> I, I, I remember saying to her, and you don't feel successful? And she said, no. 
And oh, I, yeah. I said it to her then or later, but the, my point was that you, know, you cannot compare yourself for success. If you feel you're doing what God wants you to do, that is success. Right, and there's just so many roles to be played, so many things that, I mean, God just created us all different because there's so much work to get done, so that's such a great one. I'd rather be disliked for who I am than to be admired for who I'm not. Well, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> hey, how do you like that one? Uh, that's good. When I was out doing a lot of public speaking, I get these people who say, oh, you know, just say how wonderful and marvelous I was. And um, uh, on one hand, I got a little tired of it, Um, not not because I didn't appreciate it, but I felt that they were giving me all this admiration. And uh, what I really finally figured out is that, you know, I'd rather have them be hostile dislike me than uh, uh, for who I am, for who I am, than, you know, to admire me for what I'm not. I mean, these, these people are not just uh, coming on my uh, my books and so on, but they were making this this very special, holy, holy person. And, you know, uh, I'm not especially holy. <laughs> I, I, I want to follow God, but, gosh, I mess up a lot. And uh, they were trying to make me this infallible Christian uh, person. And you know, I felt like I was on uh, some kind of display for them to hear, as if to say, I'm the role model for the perfect Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. And I decided I'd just rather have them just like me than to, than to admire, <laughs> admire me for who I'm <laughs> I think I just verbalized that to a, a, a coach the other day. I said, I said, you know, there's there's sometimes a heavy burden with being a public figure in that there's an expectation that you have all your whole act all together all the time. And, and that's just so not true. Um, it's just everybody's just the person. I think pastors and pastors' wives, missionaries and missionaries' wives, a lot of times have this happen to them where people expect them to be perfect. And, of course, they just can't. Yeah. And, and too often, you know, uh, we – uh, we live in a culture that uh, admires celebrities and uh, almost makes them God God figures, um, and you know, and some people really believe that. Uh, I, I had a friend who was a pastor, and uh, he had some problems in his church, and they forced him to resign. He said to me, "I don't know who I am. The only thing I've ever been as a pastor. I don't know who I am," and. Uh, you know, I, I I said, you know what, uh, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm, right. That you get to make that choice. And now that these people have chased you out, you understand now that you're no longer this great idol that you uh, let them build you up to. Because I said you were fine until you messed up their expectations. Right. Right. Yeah. And then they mm-hmm. turn on you. Yeah. Right, which is just, you know, it's just a reality uh, for all of us that, that if if we pretend to be something we're not, or even if people just build it up in their own minds to be something that we're not, that that can lead to trouble. I'm passionately involved in the process 
I am emotionally detached from the result. Well, you know, um, we all work on, when we work on things, whether it's selling, writing, or speaking, whatever, uh, we all want to be successful. Uh, and you know what, I, I, I've probably done maybe 10 or 11 books, and I'd, I'd never prayed for uh, any particular number of sales. And one of my friends who had done fairly well said to me, oh, see, you need to pray for uh, uh, some specific number for God to do it. And I said, well, I just doesn't feel right to me. He said, no, no. He said, you know, if you really want God to work on you, you got to ask for a specific number. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay. So there was a book that was just getting ready to come out. He said, look, I'm going to... I want to pray for you, and I'll get some friends. We'll all pray for you, for God to sell 100,000 copies of that book. I said, okay, now I worked as hard on that book as I did any other book, and it sold only 3,000 copies. And uh, what I realized is that, see, where he and I differed is my rule is to just uh, be passionately involved to just give my best and leave the results up to him. Uh, the, the 19th century uh, pastor, Charles Spurgeon, I was reading one of his sermons one day, and he said, you know, we're like fishermen. We throw the uh, line into the ocean uh, or the lake, and we can't determine how many fish we're going to catch that day. It's all in God's hands. And I thought, yeah, that's it. My role is to be passionately involved in the process, do the absolute best I can do, and the results are his. If I tell anybody that, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is that most of us, now I'm guessing it's most, certainly was true with me. When we start working on something and working on a plan, a program, anything, whatever it is, and we, we not only anticipate success, we're not careful. We begin to pray and tell God how to give us success, don't we? You've never done that, have you? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, to realize that my, I'm passionate about the process, but to emotionally detach from the result. And I can tell you this honestly. Uh, the last uh, 10 years of my writing career, I, I give it my best. I do everything I know to do it. And then it's like, okay, God, I'm emotionally divorcing myself for this. Now it's up to you. And some have been really successful, and a few of them have not done very well. But, you know, that's God's business, not mine. I love that. And and I apply it also, you know, in other areas of our life, too. I think about soul winning and about witnessing for Christ. And some people feel really terrible that they don't see results like that, that they'd share about Christ's love for people, but that people don't accept Christ with them. But the Bible is really clear about that, that all of us don't have the same role in that. So, you know, some people sure. are reapers, and uh, some people are just sowers, and some people water and, and nurture. Um, and it's, it's, across, it's a principle that goes across the board. And I love the freedom and the joy that comes with being emotionally detached from the result. And just because otherwise, actually, what we're doing is we're, we have a false trust going on there. We're trusting the result instead of trusting God. Yeah, and I think we also tend to um, uh, set up expectations of what we think other people feel we ought to be doing. 
Right. Or back up to the other one again, where, you know, we're comparing it and, and we're defining yeah. our success in some, in some tangible way like that. That's not maybe very realistic to, to do. Uh, and God, of course, God wants us to always come back to him for our source as well as for our definition of success. My role is not to solve others' problems. My role is to care about them while they solve their own problems. <laughs> when did you uh, learn that well, one, okay. Cecil? <laughs> Let me tell you two little stories. Um, you know, I, I was a former pastor, and one of the things that, you know, we sort of take on, nobody tells us to do this, we sort of take on that, that we're supposed to help them figure out what to do with themselves, you know, what the, how, what the answer is give them all kinds of advice and so on. Um, there was a, a, a assistant pastor of a local church, not my church, um, and uh, he, he was telling me all his problems and, uh, you know, and, and it was really some sad things were going on. And I said to him, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you to do. And he looked at me, same as Brian, and Brian said, I'm not asking you to tell me what to do. I'm just asking you to listen and to care. Boy, and, and it was such a, uh, uh, an awakening to me to just, you know, my role was to listen to him. That's all. Now, about eight years ago, oh, no, six years ago, I was involved with a small group of writers or eight of us. We met uh, the first Friday of every month and just kind of updated everybody. And... Um, I was going through some things. I I knew the answer, uh, but I just didn't know how. To, I just it was like I didn't know if I could really do it on my own. I just needed uh, encouragement and people caring. So I started telling my seven friends there uh, what was going on, and they kept interrupting me, giving me advice. And finally, I said, <laughs> "Wait a minute. Let me, let me be clear here." I, I'm not asking for your advice. I'm just asking you to care uh, and listen to me. Oh, okay. So I started again. You know what? I didn't even get to finish before they were giving me advice again. And uh, it was so frustrating. I didn't, you know, I finished as quickly as I could. And what I realized is that this is true with me. This is true with others. My role is not to solve other people's problems. I think God does the best work when he speaks to the person having the problem, what he needs are the people who listen, who genuinely care, who pray for them, not try to solve them. You know, sometimes when people start telling me their stories, uh, and I'm sure this is true to you, Marty, you know the answer. There's no question. You know exactly what But if you're, if you're wise, you don't say anything. You just encourage them. And, you know, eventually they, they get it right. And when they get it right, that's victory for them. Yeah. It's back to that, yeah, that principle that, you know, people don't like to be told what to do. They like to discover it and then to own it as their own. Now, let me add something to that. Uh, I, I noticed another thing. When I would tell people how to fix their lives, <laughs> that sounds terrible, but that's kind of what I did. Uh, <laughs> I would start telling them, they listen to me and say, yeah, yeah, that's true, but as soon as I heard but, I knew they discounted everything I said. Uh, and uh, even a few times I know I knew I was right, but I, nonetheless, I got the but. So by not telling them what to do, um, that meant they had to figure it out. And so 
more and more people start telling their problems, and, and they and they'll say to me, "What should I do?" And I, I'll say, "You know what? I have no idea. That's something between you and God. But I'm going to pray for you, yeah, and ask God to show you so that you can get the answer." Yeah. Just yesterday, um, somebody was telling me a big problem, and um, then they said, "They said, so what would you do?" And I said, I have no idea because I would, one thing I would do is I'd be saying the name of Jesus a lot right now. I'd just be going like, Jesus, 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 help me, help me, help me. But also I would say um, I didn't cause this problem and I don't know how to solve it because, yeah, this is a big problem. Why do you think, Cecil, why do you think that we all want to so desperately, um, even like your friend, you ask them not to solve the problem, just to listen and to care and, you know, Job's friends, obviously. Um, but why do we all feel this compulsion to solve? I'll give you my theory. My theory is we expect life to be easy and uh, 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 not difficult. And when things happen um, that um, uh, are different to us into a slump or a bad thing, it's like, hey, God, what are you doing to me? And I don't know how to deal with it um, because we expect, uh, you know, we're taught that everything's going to be joy and fill and so on. Uh, and yet I, re- I keep reminding myself of places like the 43rd chapter of Isaiah says, we go through the rivers, uh, that we won't, we won't be overwhelmed with the floods. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? And that means walking through that valley. And so I think when these things happen, it's overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And see, what I'm really trying to say, I don't like to say this to people because I don't think they're ready to hear it. But when you're having a hard problem, you know, I wish I could say to them, wow, thank God you need this. You need this for your growth. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we don't like to hear that when we're in pain, though. Never. <laughs> We actually went to a we went to a prayer conference um, several years ago, my husband and I, and the slogan through the weekend was, "Does it feel good to get stirred up?" In other words, does it feel good to have things go wrong? Does it feel good to be emotionally challenged? All that, and the answer is no. And then the next question was, "But is it good to get stirred up?" And the answer is yes, because when we get stirred up, it's like it's like dross coming to the surface of gold. Um, that's being purchased. And, you know, you want to get that off of there. And sometimes the only way to see it is the challenge, the problem um, that surfaces, oh, I still have a really short-tempered response to this, or, oh, I really am impatient here. And it allows us to see it, uh, brings it to the surface, allows us to see it, and allows us to give it to Jesus. And, you know, he is the one that really wants to solve our problems. And, you know, sometimes he does use other people to help us. Yeah, and, you know, this is kind of another side of it, but, you know, sometimes you say to people, uh, you make me angry. And uh, what I want to say to them, no, you're holding on to expectations of what you expect me to say or to do, and I'm not living up to your expectations. This is not that I made you angry. It's that something is happening in you that you need to face and solve yourself. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, you didn't make them angry. There was something there. I like the, 
I like the I the phrase unmet expectations is is a tough one and it just gets us all the time. But that's interesting because that is true. Sometimes it feels like the other person's making us mad when it's really just us responding to our own unmet expectations. That's awesome. I need the empty spaces in life to learn to accept fullness in life. This sounds kind of strange, perhaps. But, uh, you know, as a writer, uh, there have been two distinct periods in my life when nothing was happening. No matter what I tried to do, nothing worked. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Um, uh, what's wrong with me? What can't, you know, I just went to constantly just frustrating thing and then I thought wait a minute what if I need this and that was a jarring thought to me but the more I thought about it I thought yeah you know what I think we have those empty places it causes us to examine ourselves and to look at ourselves more fully and then when the good times come we can rejoice even more you know these people who are and I don't know anybody who really is, but just think it would be like if you had nothing but success in your life. Kind of boring, isn't it? Uh, it's because we fail and mess up every once in a while um, that we learn the really significant lessons of life. I don't think we really learned to um, love others until we feel loved by God, and, and then, we're, then we can pass it on. Mm-hmm. May I give you I one to start on the list that goes along with yeah. this? Here's the good news. God loves you. Here's the bad news. God loves those who disagree with you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. God loves those who have hurt you. God loves those who have disappointed you. You know, yep. um, his love, his grace extends to uh, to everyone. It's such a beautiful a beautiful um, truth there. You know, you said, you said um, if, if you only had good all the time, that, that it would become boring. And you know what? I have to tell you that one of my favorite discoveries in the past few years is that heaven isn't round. Heaven is a cube. And so why that's so cool is with earth, it's true that we require suns up and suns down. We require tides in and tides out. We require... Uh, seasons. We have all of this change. We just we require sin and and uh, holiness. Um, all of these things are true on Earth because it's round. It's a ball, and that's that's how it has to be here in this sphere. But when we get to heaven, it won't be like that. It will be forever sunshine. Uh, God is the light. It will never be dark. There will never be sadness. There will never be you know like that. And it is so wonderful to me to understand that because I've always wondered. If it, was, if it would be boring here on earth without mistakes and without sin, why would heaven be any different? But it was so comforting and fun for me to realize that it's because heaven is a completely different um, setup. It's not, it's not even, a, uh, it's not spinning. It doesn't have to have all these things. And it's completely different. It's just a place with God that will have an entirely new experience that's completely unlike anything we've experienced so far. I, oh yeah, I agree with that. Sure, um, but and we do need those empties. You know, somehow we just can't get used to that. And we, I was going. I started having time. There were two times in my life when I went through this, and it both lasted almost three months. Mm-hmm. And I, 
the first time it happened, I just struggled and rustled and complained. And then when things turned around, things went well. I'm just so I remember thinking, oh yeah, wonderful. What happened about ten years later? I thought, yeah, I felt like this before, and I got through it, and I learned a lot of things in those empty times because. When you get those empty times, that's when we're forced to seek God's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, dark nights of the soul uh, can be those. It sounds like that's what you were going through. Also, um, you know, God had me several years ago, probably 20 years ago now, just set aside every Sunday to rest. And, wow, did that ever change my life? Um, yeah. I, and, and I think, actually, I think it saved my life during the years where, where I was doing so much, the days were so incredibly intense and long. And I think that that one day a week of rest really is was God's provision to help me survive it. But I need empty spaces in life to learn to accept the fullness of life. It takes so little to help others know we care. Yeah, you know, um, we all have various gifts and you know, Marty, by nature, I'm a giver. That's just who I am. It isn't anything I think about it. I just do it. And um, uh, I remember one time I was just so distraught because I had a friend who was going through a really, really difficult time. And I remember saying to my wife, oh, honey, I, I just want to do something. And, and she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, but I just want to do something. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you could start by just calling him saying, hey, I care. Uh, just, and, you know, when she said that, I thought, you know, it doesn't take much mm-hmm. to, uh, to let people know that we care. A phone call, uh, it, it isn't much, but it's what it does for the recipient. I have a friend right now who's lost his job. Uh, he's been forced to move. Uh, he, he went to a divorce about a year ago. It's it just, you know, you name it, he's struggling with all that. And, you know, I would just like to take all this pain away from him. But right. I kept remembering, uh, his name is Randy. And so I called Randy. Actually, I called him just this morning. And I said, Randy, I don't have any answers for you, but I care about you a lot. And he started crying. And he said, I wish I had more phone calls like yours. Yeah. See, it took so little. All I had to do was take three minutes to call him. Yeah. That's what I mean about it. It takes so little. Uh, another example is um, uh, sometimes when somebody's lost somebody, I send them a, a letter saying that I'm sorry about their loss and so on. And, and, and I hesitate doing that for a long time because, I thought, oh, they're probably inundated with hundreds of letters. That's not the point. The point is, it's something I can do, and it's not a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, let me just tell you, that leads me to something else. Um, uh, I think in our culture we have what we call a convenient compassion. That is, we, we can really get compassion for other people as long as it's convenient. But when it makes us get away from our regular activities or do other kinds of things that go out of our way, or we have to put aside something we plan to do. Isn't it interesting how inconvenient it becomes? 
Yeah, I love I love this uh, thought. It takes and a I little can, time to help others convenient. know we care. Sorry. Go ahead. What was you? What were you saying? I said, and, "Hey, I'm guilty too. I'm not just pointing fingers. Um, <laughs> I could, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you there've been several times when people uh, have asked me a favor. I remember one time when my very very close friends uh, uh, lived uh, uh, lived about. 12 miles from me, and he wanted me to pick him up and take him somewhere. And frankly, it really wasn't convenient. Um, I didn't say impossible, I said inconvenient. So I said, oh, gee, I just can't do it. I'm just too full of other things. And after I thought, see, that's convenient compassion. Um, and I asked myself, what would it have taken for me to feel compassion enough to do something? And that's when I really felt God, deal with me about it. Yeah. I know uh, one of the things that is coming to my mind as we're talking about this is the need to be willing to pray instead of act. Because sometimes we feel like if someone's in need, um, again, back up to the other one we were talking about, too, that we need to solve it somehow. And a lot of times that isn't God's role for us. God's role for us is much simpler than that. I remember... um, a friend of mine in Kenya had had uh, given me an email, sent me an email, and said, um, "and said, will you please pray? The babies are crying. There is no milk." And uh, he runs an orphanage, and they had run out of food and run out of money. And I remember, I remember just really struggling. Um, you know, we were going to see if we could get funds together or whatever, and that just wasn't happening. It, God was closing the doors for us to help financially, but I would just pray and pray and pray. And um, later, when I talked to him, he said, "He said, oh, God was so miraculous, and he provided. And it was really a lesson to me, Cease, because I was thinking that if God didn't use me, when I knew about the need, if God didn't use me, then something was wrong. Uh, and actually, it was a lesson to me um, to not always be the solution. I'm not, that's not always what he wants us to do. Sometimes we show we care, like you say, with a note, with a prayer, with a hug, you know, with a word. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, I'm, again, going back, I, I, my role is not to solve their problems. Now, if I had prayed and God said, okay, send him $500, I would have done that. But, right. Yeah. Or your friend, I'm thinking. Uh, but and I'm sure you would too if you really felt God was saying that. Right. But absolutely. That, but God wasn't telling you that. Right. Right. Exactly. And and then later, now more recently, I needed funds. In fact, it was last summer. I needed funds for something, and it didn't have it. And I mentioned it to someone, and I realized what a sweet relief it was to be able to ask her to pray for this without, I mean, knowing that she wouldn't feel like she was supposed to give it to me. You know, there's just a safety in that piece when, when somebody knows to look to Jesus instead of always trying to be the fix-it fox of everything they ever hear about. Uh, let me just give you another true confession. Um, it hasn't been easy for me to share my needs with other people. <laughs> I know this is going to sound terrible, but and this was pride on my part. Um, but, you know, um, I, I, I would say... God knows my need, and I'm I'm fine. Uh, but uh, and so I, you know, just wasn't very good at telling people uh, what I needed. And even when they ask, I say, "Oh, I'm I'm really fine," or I give them some kind of innocuous answer. 
And what I had to learn to do, and this was really hard, is to open my heart to some close friends. <clears throat> and, and I just told them, um, I need, and I would tell them what I needed. And I said, I'm not, all I want you to do is to pray for me and just to know you're praying will make such a difference to me. And, yeah. uh, uh, and you know, oh, Arnie, most people, many people can do that readily. It was such a burden. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really think it way, but it was all I'm saying. Well, they need me, but I've got Jesus, and that's all I need. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is God says we need each other. Yeah. He loves body life. That's how I like to say it. He loves body life. <laughs> well, I like I about, a good way of saying it. I think about I think about your books, and I think about how God uses you to be the you know the writer, the author. But then along come all the editors, and then there's the finished people, and then there's the cover, and then there's the uh, distributors and the printers. And I mean, it's it's such a body life process for one book to get published. It's such a beautiful example to me of this. Yeah, by the way, just for, I have a, one more book coming out. It's I, I'm a survivor of male childhood sexual abuse, and, and I, uh, I've written a book about that one. And uh, <clears throat> this is my third book. And the editor, who had never been sexually assaulted in her life, she just went to it. And there was one chapter that she said, oh, this chapter really touched me. Thank you for writing it. Mm-hmm. I don't get that from editors very often, but it really <laughs> meant a lot. Yeah, right. I always think that way about you. I always think that way about authors, Cece. I always think, thank you for writing. Thank you for writing this stuff. It's just amazing to me that we get to get into somebody else's head like that. You know, for yeah. 20 bucks or something, you get this <laughs> one-on-one right. session with this person uh, telling you this story or this, you know, this insight that they've had or this amazing thing God has done or the series of them. Yeah, I just love it all. It's so much fun. I I am, I totally agree. Thank you for writing. (laughs) Loving God, show me the truth about myself, no matter how wonderful it may be. Um, This was a prayer I wrote in 1976. I was a pastor. Um, I come to this church. I've only been there by maybe a year, and these people were the previous minister had been uh, a, a very f- fine man, but he's very um, guilt-inducing. I don't think he necessarily meant it that way, but they were always feeling guilty, uh, feeling out to do more, out to you know. Uh, and one day, I kept thinking, God, how can I help these folks? How can I help them? So. Uh, at the end of a sermon, I've forgotten what the sermon was all about. I said, today I want to have a very short prayer, and it's going to be oral. I'm going to say the words, and you're going to repeat them after me. And <laughs> their heads were bowed, all that. And I said, oh, God, show me the truth about myself. They repeated it. And then I paused, and I said, no matter how wonderful it may be, and probably 50 heads looked up and <laughs> smiled. Are you um, serious? <laughs> and, uh, a wonderful lesson to me, and probably every mm-hmm. oh six months or so, somebody would come back, would come to me and say, "We're we gonna pray that prayer again." And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think so often we, if I, uh, we, we don't, we underestimate 
to goodness. I did an experiment one day. I was I was teaching a, a class of, of 12-year-olds, uh, and I said, um, get a blank sheet of paper. Uh, on one side, I want you to write uh, as many things you can think of that you hate about, you dislike about yourself, terrible things about yourself. Boy, they're just writing and writing away. And then when they finished, I said, okay, now turn the paper over. Now I want you to write the things you really like about yourself. And someone just kind of stared into space, and finally they scribbled one or two things. And I said, see, we're so, we're so programmed to see our faults and forget that we have good points. About, there are really good things going in our lives. Uh, you're not perfect, but think about the good things you are kind of person you are and you know uh, i'm not sure if those 12 year olds how they how they responded you know eventually how it, if it did anything for them later on but i realize it's so much easier for people when you start uh talking to them it's easier to tell you how bad they are than to say you know what i'm i'm this i'm that i'm thank you god for who i am uh one of the things I learned in, I was a missionary in Kenya, by the way, for six years. And uh, one of the things I learned from the Africans, this is the old Africans, not true today, but the old African, um, they were very honest about themselves. I remember uh, one of the uh, preachers who had been a teacher before, he said, uh, I'm a good teacher. I know I'm a good teacher. And he said, when I, God called me to the ministry, I knew my role was to teach people uh, the simple way gospel and how to follow him, and they're doing it. And I, you know, and he talked like that. I thought, wow, I wish Americans would do that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Loving God, show me the truth about myself, no matter how wonderful it may be. I have to tell you a story. So we were closing out the store and selling the restaurant and selling our house and getting ready for this big move. And it took about three years to do the whole thing. But uh, somewhere along the line, I realized, Oh my goodness, I might have to actually get a job because we've been entrepreneurs. (laughs) I thought, well, maybe I'll have to get a job. So I thought, I wonder what I would want to do for a job. So I started writing down. I just sat down and I just started brainstorming and I would write something down, you know, like uh, floral, floral design and I'd put a slash through it and think, you know, yeah, I, I love it and I'm okay at it, but I'm not professional. And I did that with a whole sheet of paper. See, so I, I put something down, then I put a line through it. I put something down there and it's things I love to do and that I could do, but I just wasn't all that great at it. And so um, I got to the end and it was kind of depressing. And I looked at this piece of paper and I'm like, well, God, I don't understand. What would you have me do if I needed to go find a job? And uh, in my spirit, God just said, you know what you're really good at, Marnie, is you're really good at just getting up in the morning and saying, what should I do for you today? And then going and doing it with all your might. And Steve, I have to tell you that all those things on that page that were crossed out, things I love to do but wasn't a pro at, they were all just washed away in that moment. They were all just gifts. But that wasn't really why I was here. I was really here to just please Jesus. And that just was so delightful. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, (laughs) We've gotten to the end of 10. You know, I write these things all the time. I have something like 700 of them. Uh, would it be all right if I shared one more? Do, yes. Absolutely. All right, this is one that's just come to it in the last six months. Here it goes. If I judge my neighbor, I'm judging myself. Jesus says to love the neighbor 
as I love myself. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, we all know negative people, and they're always criticizing others. And what I finally realized, if you listen to what they're saying, they're really talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. They they focus on their weaknesses, and they project it onto other people. Now, it's easy to say other people do it, but uh, I was I saw that, cease. That's what you do, mm-hmm. and what and and then I thought, yeah, that's right. And if, if how can I love people if I don't love myself? And if I love myself, uh, I can then give them the kind of grace I give myself. You know, um, sometimes there are things about us that we're they're imperfect, but you know, we say, well, that's who I am. Well, you know, that's who they are too. That I don't that. <laughs> really helpful to me. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And it's such a good reminder, too, that when we start feeling judgmental in ourselves towards other people, to just step back and say, Jesus, you know, where is this even coming from? Why am I, why have I got this, you know, overwhelming need to uh, feel you've that got way much towards better than them? Ah, no, no. Got... <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, um, I, you know, I realize that when I'm critical of someone else, I'm really talking about something in my own life right something that's still broken yeah well if we were to sum this whole thing up it's about God's grace and about just allowing him to use the circumstances of our lives to draw us closer to him Cecil thank you for your life thank you for all of your written works and thank you for being here today oh thank you here's one more okay the the mistakes of the past don't prevent my success in the present. Yay. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. uh, Let the past be past and receive the gift of today, the present. Yeah, that's awesome. Cecil Murphy, have a wonderful day. Love you, my friend. Thank you for having me in your program, Martin. You are wonderful. God bless you. <laughs> Such a delight. And always so great to have you guys here. Be sure to go over and check out Cecil Murphy's page at CecilMurphy.com. Murphy is spelled with P-H-E-Y at the end, CecilMurphy.com. And uh, just real quick, I want to just do a focus for you. I said at the beginning I would focus each time on one aspect of God's ministry through my life. One of them is doing webinars at boot camps. One of my favorites is the Mission Vision Boot Camp. And I hope that you will go check that out at martins.com. Right now, if you want to uh, get a hold of that, you can use the coupon code MVP, so Mission Vision P, like perspective, or might be most valuable player, MVP. Go ahead and use that coupon code for 50% off of that uh, training. What I want to do right now is I just want to share with you my mission. It's to create and distribute encouragement and creative ideas and solutions to Christian women worldwide. My, my mission verse is Psalm 10428. When you give it to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, and they are filled with good things. <laughs> that was from one of my mentees. Also, there's a word picture for me, which is the babbling brook. I'm a clear babbling brook. I'm water. I'm cool, soothing refreshment for the hot and tired, visually appealing, pleasant-sounding comfort, flowing with new, innovative, and useful information and ideas. Its flow is, I, my flow is ordered by God, often in response to events. I'm cheerfully flexible, persistent and successful, 
in my flow through capacity with God. I can go over, under, around, or through obstacles. And these, of course, I'm not perfect at this, you guys. These are, these are my mission and vision statements. The symbols for me are bubbles. Freedom to be me. The living word is God is alive in me. I have the power to do his will. And my symbols are dollar signs and clocks. There's provision for every directive. God bless you. We'll see you next time at Perspective Transformation. Yeah.